You may be seated, everyone. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Psalms 27. This is my first sermon in almost four months, so go easy on me, okay? Uh, Go easy on me. Um, I want to preach today on a particular passage of Scripture that has meant a lot to me over the course of my 21 years or so of following Jesus. And over the past three and a half months, I've been focusing a lot on the themes that we see in this passage of Scripture. And I want to talk about um, prayer today and deepening our lives in prayer. Uh, I want to I give you a vision of prayer. And my hope is that your appetite will be wet to want some more, to pursue God more, to, to make space for God in your life, to, 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 to go after God, to desire one thing really. And that's the title of this message today. It's, it's desiring one thing. It's a sabbatical reflection. Next week, I'll give another uh, sabbatical reflection on a different passage of scripture. But I want to look at desiring one thing. We desire a lot of things in, in, in this world. But what does it mean to desire one thing in particular? And this is Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. It's actually the first psalm that I memorized. My grandfather, when I was 19 years old, he discipled me two to three times a week for sometimes two to three hours each time. And he would tell me to memorize Bible verses. And sometimes it'd be like Jesus wept, you know. And then there are other times where it would be an entire psalm. And so this is the first psalm that I, I memorized, committed to memory, and it's, it's done so much good to me, just this psalm. And so it's, it's Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host, an army shall encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war shall rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What you see there in yellow is what I want you to focus on. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. What's the one thing? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, open our hearts, our ears, our eyes, that we may behold you in all of your beauty. And may our lives be transformed as a result. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Beholding. The beauty of the Lord. I remember the first time our daughter, Karis, got really sick. Karis is 10 years old, and she was almost two years old, and she was really sick. She was running a fever. She wasn't herself. She seemed very lethargic, and we were first-time parents. And when you're a first-time parent, you get a little extra anxious the first time around. Your child sneezes, and all of a sudden, you're getting anxiety. It's amazing how things change when you add more children to the picture. My second son, he could be coughing up a lung. We just throw some Vicks on that chest. He'll be all right. He'll be good to go. But for the first child, she was not doing too well. She had a fever. She looked lethargic. And she just didn't seem herself. 
And so we decided to take her to the emergency room because she just didn't think, we didn't think she could wait till the morning to see her pediatrician. And so we drive to the emergency room, we get her in there, and the nurse uh, sees her and checks her oxygen levels. And when she checked her oxygen level, the oxygen was at about 84, 85 which is not a good thing for a two-year-old or so. And she, she was not getting enough air. She was not breathing the right way. And the doctor immediately rushed her in, put a, a, a mask on her face for a nebulizer treatment to get some oxygen flowing in her. And after some time, after some minutes, the fever was still there. She wasn't quite herself, but she got some air. She was able to breathe well again. Her breathing was, was impacted. Her breathing got better. And, and she was starting to return to herself a little bit more. It, it's a strange thing to see someone who's not breathing well. And as I thought about this passage and thought about this story, I wonder today, how's your breathing? How's your spiritual breathing? Is air coming into your lungs spiritually? I think about something that the great writer Henry Nowitz said. He said about prayer, that prayer is not a pious decoration of life, but the breath of human existence. That if you want to breathe spiritually, you need a life with God that is rooted and grounded in prayer. Prayer is the oxygen mask, as it were, that allows the breath of God to flow through you. How's your breathing? Now, it's a curious question because on one level, we can think that we're breathing just fine. But in reality, we're not. If I say, how's your breathing, your spiritual breathing, you say, great, I go to church every, every Sunday. Great, I give my money. Great, I volunteer. I'm doing, my breathing is just fine. And this is the illusion that we can fall into. That just because we go to church, just because we give our money, just because we volunteer here and there, we think we're breathing just fine. But the rude awakening for us is this. You can look like you're breathing, but in actuality, not be. How's your breathing? The degree to which we are grounded in a life with God in prayer is the degree to which we are truly breathing in the way of God. How is your breathing? Prayer is the way that we allow access to the presence of God to so fill our lives, to so transform our lives And we need to be rooted and abiding in God over and over again, day in, day out, hour after hour, minute after minute, as it were. And I know this to be true because I look at the disciples in the New Testament. The disciples in the New Testament spent a lot of time with Jesus. And yet after all the time that they spent with him, after a three-year period, they still had significant gaps in their life. Significant gaps. I did some math this past week, and I, and I wanted to capture uh, the math of how much time they spent with Jesus over a three-year period and still note the gaps that they had in their lives. Here's a little bit of theological math for you. If they spent eight hours a day with Jesus for 365 days a year over a three-year period, they would have spent 8,760 hours with Jesus. That's a lot of hours. That's a lot of hours. That many hours over a three-year period. And then you look at them in the Gospels. And with all the time that they spent with Jesus, they still had significant gaps in their lives. 
Now, for us, we come to church once a a week for an hour, hour and a half, and we think, I I did my, I'm breathing just fine. When in actuality, over a three-year period, we might spend 150 hours in this kind of setting. Imagine the gaps that we have. Our lives are meant to be abiding with Jesus, to be praying in communion with him. Because who we are meant to be is in direct proportion to how we behold God. And this is what I want to show you in this passage. That we become who we're meant to be when our lives are focused on beholding God. This is what David teaches us in Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, David shows us someone who is rooted, who is established, who is who's building his life on communing and being with God in prayer. He begins by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. David begins this psalm, the first three verses, and it's a scene of warfare. There's a scene of battle. His enemies are surrounding him. They're encamping him. They're circling him. And yet, in the face of the enemies that are around him, David says these words, I will not fear. Don't you want that kind of life? The kind of life that when pressures are all around you, pressures at your job, pressures in your, in your home, fears all around, that, that all these things encamping against you and you're living without fear. I want that kind of life. And so David begins in the first three verses by giving us a picture of battle, giving us a picture of war, giving us a picture of the enemy encircling him. But David is, he, he is, he is steadfast. He's at peace. Why? Because we see it in verse 4. He transports us from the battlefield into an environment where he can behold God. He transitions to say, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David goes from the battlefield to the temple, from the battlefield to the place of worship. And it is in this place of worship, in this place of beholding God and all of God's beauty that David can live without fear. One thing have I desired. David has singularity of focus. One thing do I want from my life. And that desire is what I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty and inquire in his temple. I love that David does two things. He desires and then he seeks. Because you can desire but not seek. You could desire a new job and not do anything about it. You just want it. But David desires it and he seeks it. It's a singularity of focus. One thing do I desire. Last month I was with a Christian monk who was praying and um, he was at this monastery and I spent some time with him and he said, Rich, I'm going to give you a prayer and I want you to hold on to this prayer for your retreat and maybe thereafter. And the prayer very simply was this, I am nothing, I have nothing, I desire nothing except the love of Jesus. He said, let that be your prayer. I am nothing. I have nothing. I desire nothing except the love of Jesus. The prayer starts off with nothing. 
it ends with everything. Because when you have the love of Jesus, you have everything. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To, here's the word now, behold. That's the word I want you to focus on. Behold. To fix your attention on, to give your direction to, to behold. Now, the truth of our lives is we know how to behold. The issue is not whether we know how to behold or not. The issue is, are we beholding in the right direction? We know how to behold. When, when, we, when we get on our computer, we, we, we know how to behold, to fix our attention steadfastly on something. When we are on our phones, we, we, we know how to behold, where we're just behold, stuck, as it were, beholding. And I say this as the chief among sinners. This is me and my daughter at a dinner, at dinner somewhere, beholding together. We're just beholding our phones together. I better attend that parenting conference. Okay, I better, I better go to it. This is not good parenting right here. This is eight years ago, us beholding together. The issue is not whether we know how to behold or not. The issue is, are, are, are we beholding in the right direction? Are we beholding in such a way that it is generating the life of God flowing through us? Because you know you can behold in such a way that you, you, you are paralyzed by what you behold. Which is why our phones and such and our beholding, we're paralyzed. We're stuck. You're on that thing for 10. You haven't moved a muscle and you're stuck there. You're paralyzed. That's one. That's beholding that leads to paralysis. But there's another beholding that leads to abundance and life and joy and God breathing through us. How do we behold this God? How do we live our lives in this way? Where there's one thing that we desire and one thing that we seek after to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, to behold the beauty of God. This is what we were meant to live by, to behold God's beauty. Now, how do we do this? How do we live in such a way where our prayer life is vibrant, where we're not living off of the spirituality of someone else? where we're not living off of sermons, not living off of the worship team, not living off of somebody else. We, we are cultivating a life with God for ourselves. What does it mean to behold? And I want to offer four ways to go about this here, four ways to behold God. And my hope is that throughout the course of this week, you would hold on to these things and more and more that you would live a life that is rooted and grounded in God. How do we behold God? How do we deepen our lives in prayer? First of all, we are invited and called to befriend silence, to make silence a friend. Now, for many of us, we have a difficult time doing this. We get into our apartment. If we're the only one there, we get into our home. If we're the only one there, and, and, and we feel often uneasy if there's silence, so we turn on the radio, we turn on the music, we, we turn on the television to, to give the illusion that we're not alone because we often have difficulty with silence. And not just personally, even in our worship gatherings, which is why we need to continually create space for silence in our worship gatherings, because it's very easy not to make a friend with silence, that God dwells with us in silence, that God is with us. I'm reminded some eight years ago, we had 
a, a Trappist monk come to our church, a Christian man, and, and I interviewed him from the stage. And this was the first time he was in this environment. And I was just sure that he was going to love our singing. He was going to love our, our, our expression of praise. He was going to love the hands lifted. He's not accustomed to this kind of environment. I'm thinking he's going to like it. And we got to a point where we sang a song, I will be still and know that you are God. It's a good song out of Psalm 47. I will be still and know you are God. It's wonderful. And at the end of the, the service, I, I go to him. I said, I said Father William, what would you think? What would you think? And he looked at me and said, Rich, I have a question for you. Why don't you practice what you sing? And I said, old man, you can go back to your monastery, you know. Uh, but <laughs> the reason he said that was because after we sang, I will be still and know that you are God, we went right into the next song. He said, why don't you practice what you sing? This is a great opportunity to be still. And know that God is God. And yet we often have difficulty living what we're singing. To be with God in silence. To allow him to speak to us. To, to befriend silence. You could argue that the level of your intimacy with someone is contingent upon or re, is, reflects your ability to be silent with someone. That if, if you got in a car with a perfect stranger and you had to drive for 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, it would be extremely awkward not to be talking to each other as you're driving. The awkwardness would be thick in the car. And so you would talk about anything, sports, the car in front of you, anything to avoid silence because this is awkward if you don't know someone. But when you do know someone, you can sit next to them and hours can go by. And maybe you say a word here or there, but, but you are bonded. You're connected on a different level. What does it say about our lives when our lives are not marked by befriending silence with God? Perhaps, brothers and sisters, we're not as intimate with God as we think we are. Because when you're intimate, you can befriend silence between each other. This is why there's a wonderful story about Mother Teresa, and I tell it from time to time, where someone was interviewing her about her prayer life, and they said, Mother Teresa, what do you say to God when you pray? And she said, I don't say anything, I listen. And the person said, well, what's God saying? What does God say when you listen? And she said, God doesn't say anything, he listens. And the reporter was very confused. <laughs> what do you mean you listen? Uh, you're listening to God listen? And she said, there's no other way I can explain prayer. There's, there's an exchange of presence that you're simply being with someone. You're, you're befriending silence. And we can do this. We, we can do this in the city that never sleeps. Because the, the, the big obstacle is not the outside noise, it's the inside noise. This is why Joan Chittister, one, a, a, great, a great phrase, that's the monk who rebuked me, by the way. Uh, but, <laughs> but she says, the noise outside of us is not the enemy. It is the noise within, our desires that plague us, our worries that deplete us, our thoughts that agitate us, that we must calm. And how do we calm? We calm in silence, in simple being with God. Beyond 
the befriending of silence and being with God, how do we behold God? How do we stay with God? How do we commune with God? Where increasingly, day after day, our prayer life is strengthening. Well, secondly, we are called to normalize boredom. To normalize boredom. Now, what I mean by normalizing boredom is this. That prayer is often seemingly uneventful. That it doesn't seem as if much is happening when you pray. And it often happens with our lives. That we pray and it doesn't feel like anything has happened. You don't feel anything. You don't hear anything. You don't see anything. It feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming back down and hitting you on your head. It doesn't feel like anything is happening in your life with prayer. And it is in these moments that you have to be reminded, that's okay. That it's okay when nothing happens. The problem with our lives is often this, and this is why we don't pray as much as we we should and, and as much as God desires us to. Because we have gotten so caught up and how we feel and wanting a particular experience that when that experience is not there, we think this is a waste of time, which, which, which causes us to actually make a distinction between this, am I worshiping God or am I worshiping my experience of God? And there's a big difference. Am I worshiping God or am I worshiping my experience of God? How do you know you're worshiping God and not your experience of God? Very simple. When you don't feel anything and you stay there. When it is boring and you stay there. When you don't feel anything happening and you stay there. That's when you know you're worshiping God and not worshiping your experience of God. Why? Because as you stay there, brothers and sisters... God begins to do work beneath the surface that you cannot discern with your feelings. But it's work happening beneath the surface. It was John of the Cross who said this, when you reach a certain point in life, the deeper things now lie under the surface. That you often can't perceive it, but God is at work. Even though you can't feel it. Let me explain it this way. Let's say you have a parent, let's say a mother who lives in an assisted living facility in Queens. And you live close by. You're there five days every week after work for a couple of hours. You see your mother. You leave work. You go to the assisted living facility. You spend time with her. You sit down. You talk. Talk about the kids. Talk about food, whatever. Maybe, maybe you don't even talk at all. Out of the, a year, in a year's time of you doing that every single day, how often do you think you might have a really stimulating, goosebump-producing conversation with your mom? Chances are once, twice, three times. That is to say that the connection is happening beneath the surface. But let's say you had another sibling. And that sibling conveniently lives in California. That the sibling doesn't have to be there five days a week and for two to three hours each time. And then your sibling flies into New York and sees your mother in the assisted living facility. And when she sees her mother, she goes, my mom, I miss you so much. And their tears flowing, they're hugging, and you want to kill them both at that time, okay? You're just, oh, I love you so much, my daughter. Now, on the surface, 
If you just walked in, it would seem like the, the, the sibling who is crying with the mother has the deeper relationship with mom. But the truth would actually be, no, 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 that's not the case. The one who's been with her day after day, year after year, hour after hour, that's the one who knows mom best because it's happening beneath the surface. And when the funeral comes, the one who would know mom best is the one who's been with mom over and over in the boredom of visiting mom. When we come to church, we often think the person who knows God most is the one who's most expressive. You visit, oh, that person must know God. Chances are they haven't been to church in 20 years. They're rolling on the floor. That, that, guy, that, that person's being touched by God. Maybe the deeper work is happening as you simply come. Boredom. This morning, when I got up to pray this morning, I, I got up, I was reading some Psalms, and and I sat down and, and I was on my couch and as I was sitting, I got into a moment of, of prayer, of silence and, and, and about two minutes into the silence, th- this is exactly what happened. I, 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 I just fell out. I just fell out. Just like this. Just, just fell out. It might have been five minutes. I don't know how many minutes I was out. I was just, I was out. And in the past, I would feel guilty whenever I fell asleep in prayer. I thought, oh, I'm such a bad Christian. But then I heard something from Teresa of Lisieux said that someone came up to her and said, I, I, I feel bad when I fall asleep in prayer. And she said, no, don't, don't feel bad. God loves his children, whether they are awake or asleep, sometimes more when they're sleeping. And... Um, <laughs> And as a parent, I said, amen. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? I love my children when they're awake. I really love them when they're sleeping. I'm like, oh, I love you. I love you. So next time you fall asleep, maybe God is like, finally. (laughs) Finally, go to sleep. We are called to normalize boredom, to normalize boredom. Third, how do we behold God? How do we spend more time with God in prayer? And let me tell you, for the sake of your breathing, you need it. For the sake of your soul, you need it. You cannot go another week without seeking God more and more. It's going to catch up to you. But how do we do this? Well, a simple way of, of, of cultivating this is to pray using the words of others. To pray using the words of others. If you want to start diving deeper into union with God, into prayer, to pray using the words of others. Because sometimes we come to prayer and we say, I don't even know what to say. I don't know where to begin. I, I don't know. And, and so on one level, one good definition of prayer is prayer is lifting mind and heart to God. Whatever you're feeling, thinking, that, that becomes an entry point to prayer. It's wonderful. If you're feeling anger, pray your anger to God. He already knows you're angry. If you're feeling sad, pray your sadness. If you're feeling lust, pray your lust to God. Whatever it is, there's no, uh, there's no uh, feeling or thought that, that cannot be converted into a moment of prayer. Offering yourself up to God. But that's, that's one aspect of prayer. But there's another aspect of prayer, of, of praying using the words of others, in particular praying scripture, praying the Psalms, 
That when we pray the Psalms, when we pray the prayers in the Bible, when we pray the prayers that have been handed down throughout 2,000 years of church history, our prayers have a, a meatiness to them. There's a substance to them. Now, for some people, when they hear that, they go, I have a difficult time praying the words of others because I want it to come from my heart. I want it to be my words. And I think that's a, that's a noble thing to want, and, and it's a great thing, a great desire to have. But let me help you reframe this a little bit by thinking about Hallmark cards. I want to reframe this. Whenever you go to Hallmark, you go to CVS. I don't know if Hallmark is still in business anymore. But if you go to CVS and you get a card for maybe Valentine's Day, anniversary, birthday, whatever it is, there, there are three kinds of people who fill out cards. Three types of people, at least three types. There's the first person who just fills out uh, an entire story in the card. They get a card that has a blank side, and they just want to write, ah, uh, you're every, they're writing poetry, they're writing everything, and that's one person who, who writes the card. The other kind of person is someone who, who, who just underlines words for the sake of emphasis. This is, this is what I want to say to you. You know, I just, you're beautiful, yeah, and you circle the words that you want to emphasize. The third kind of person is the person who just signs their name. They just sign their name. They, they, they give you the card. Listen, how, how many is in group one? Just let me see any group ones in the house here. Okay. Any group twos? Any group twos? Any group threes? Uh, I see that hand. I see that hand. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord. And so I, I get into, I often get into the, the, the second aspect of it, you know? I, I underline a word. I said, that's what I want to say to you, babe. Yeah, I, have a, I just want to emphasize. And when Rosie gets a card from me, she doesn't Say, how unoriginal. You couldn't, how unoriginal. No, she, she receives the words as if I wrote them. How wonderful is that? As, as if I, I, this is what I want to say to you. And as I think about prayer, th this is how it is with God. We, we often think, I don't know what to say. God says, say what's already there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when you pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God doesn't say, how unoriginal. <laughs> you can't think of your own stuff? How unoriginal. No, God receives it. God says, think, I am your shepherd. I am your light and your salvation. Which is why we have to be praying scripture, because he receives it. We're making our lives way too difficult. God is saying, I, I, already, I, already, I already, I know what I want to hear. It's found right in here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God is not offended <laughs> when you use the words of others. What actually happens is those words begin to form new words. Where it help, it's a springboard. To now help you say, Lord, this is what I want to say to you. This is what I want to offer to you, praying using the words of others. Here's the final piece, and then we'll sing together. And my hope is that you would hold these things together as you continue to build a life that's grounded in prayer. That every day, a little bit more, every day, a little bit more. How do we behold God? How do we stick with God? Lastly, it's just that we remember that God is always beholding you with eyes of love. God is beholding you 
with eyes of love. The truth of our lives is this. We behold everything. We often don't behold God in our sin, in our rebellion, in the bad decisions that we make. We turn our eyes from God. We turn to something else. We behold other things. We get trapped. We get ensnared. We're beholding other things. But, but as we are beholding other things, God's eyes remain fixed on you. God is always beholding you with eyes of love, waiting for you to turn your eyes to him. But God is always beholding you. Let me give you an image to bring this home. This past Tuesday was Father Take Your Child to School Day. National Father Take Your Child to School Day. And so I brought my kids to school and I was going to step into my son Nathan's kindergarten class. And uh, fathers came, a bunch of fathers. It was a wonderful sight to see. They were all dressed up, some in their police uniforms, some of their work uniforms, uh, with presentations, flip charts. I'm thinking, I didn't get the memo for all this, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, I, I should have brought my Bible. Yeah, okay, children? <laughs> we're going to get a sermon, children, okay? And, and so I, I walk into the classroom with all the other fathers, and um, the kids are just so excited to see their parents in that environment. It's not something that happens typically. And my son Nathan was particularly excited about seeing me in that class, so much so that he was, he couldn't get his eyes off of me. And it was beautiful, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was beautiful, it was actually a really intimate moment. It was, it was, it was beautiful. And as he's looking at me, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, Pay attention, son, you know, just like this right here. But, but, he, but he, his eyes were fixed on me. I took a, this, this is how he looked at me in his class. That's how he was staring at me. Oh, oh. I could assure you he doesn't look at me like that at home. I could assure you that. <laughs> but in that classroom, he was beholding me to the point that I started beholding him. And in that moment, there was just, there was an exchange of love, an exchange of, of intimacy, where I just looked at my son as he was beholding me, and I thought, this is a picture of God. While, while I'm looking here and there, God's eyes are always on you, beholding you with love. You think, oh, no, God's looking at me. God hates me. God, God can't stand me. No, 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 no. God beholds you with eyes of love, and he waits for you to return that gaze of, 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 of love back to God. Wouldn't you want to come to pray when you know that because of what Jesus has done for us, God beholds us? with eyes of love and invites us to do the same. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies, round about me. Therefore, 
Shall I offer praises in his tabernacle of joy? I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Let's pray together. God beholds you with eyes of love. As Jesus dies for us on the cross, your eyes of love, beholding us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I wonder today, what are you fixing your eyes on? I wonder today, how's your spiritual breathing? God has been beholding you and waiting for you to turn around and do the same towards God. Let's take a moment just to behold God in silence here. With your eyes closed, maybe your mind gets distracted and maybe there's the simple phrase, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. I want to behold you. Lord, forgive us of all the times we behold everything except you. And yet, your eyes of love are fully fixed on us. Help us to mirror that gaze of love. And may you deepen in our lives in prayer rooting us in your love. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together.
close our service, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left, invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to my right. We worship a God who's always beholding us with eyes of love. And the great tragedy of human existence is we don't turn our eyes back to this God. His eyes are fixed on us. God has always loved you. As you were being formed in your mother's womb, God had his eyes on you. And as you've come into existence in this world, God has always had his eyes on you. And he reveals his love in Jesus Christ. And the great tragedy of life is that we do not return that gaze of love back to God. Prayer is our way of saying, I'm returning the gaze of love, the eye of love back to God. And so my hope is that this week, that you would recognize God loves you with an everlasting love. And he calls us to repentance. What is repentance? Very simply, here it is. It's moving your eyes off of what is causing you great pain. Moving your eyes off of what's not cultivating life with God. Repentance is the movement we say, I'm moving from here. I'm turning to behold God. 
And every single day we are invited to repent, to turn to God, to enjoy friendship with Jesus, to allow his very life to breathe in us as we befriend silence, as we normalize boredom, as we pray using the words of others and recognize that God is beholding us. Our prayer team is here for whatever needs you have. Some of you, maybe a friend brought you in and you have never returned the, your eye to God. In Christian language, we call that faith. We call that trust in Jesus. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus before. And today you hear this news. He, he loves you. He's been searching for you. His eyes are on you. And today is your day to return the favor. And so our prayer team is here. Maybe you feel God calling you to follow him. Maybe you feel a call to follow Jesus, to get baptized, to represent your new identity in him. Whatever need you have, our prayer team is here. And we have Yofana here who will offer the bread and the cup. Another way in which the eyes of God are set on you. When we take bread and dip it in a cup, he's saying, I've always loved you. So much so that my body was broken and poured out for you. Return this look of love by taking bread and dipping in a cup. And so whether you come for prayer, whether you come to the Lord's table, as the Lord leads you, feel free to respond. And my hope is this, that this week, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, that somehow throughout the course of this week, you would make space to behold God, to behold God in Scripture, to behold God in silence, to behold God in nature, whatever it is to behold God. And my hope is that the more you behold him, the more you're going to want to behold him. I trust, tr trust me, the love of God satisfies and it never satisfies. Because once you taste a little bit, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, you want some more. It never satisfies and it does satisfy. And once you behold a little bit, you want to do more. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We have our newcomer lunch right after this service here, and so I look forward to meeting many of you and seeing some of you. Um, I look forward to sharing a meal with you there. But with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, beholding the one who's already beholding you. And may you overflow with love, grace, mercy. And may you offer that to the world around you. I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful and the beholding name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace.